Roster Watch Nation. This is just your local trash man, and this is the fantasy fallout for week one going into week two. And the fallout, if you're not familiar with it, from years, seasons past, we go back and look at the games that have happened up to this point in the week and try to determine some of the narratives going forward with some of the players maybe you weren't thinking about and some of the ones you are thinking about, you know, some of the tough decisions we have to make. Anyways, let's get started with game one, which was the Falcons at the Eagles on Thursday night. The Eagles won this one 18-12. Starting with the Falcons, Defonte Freeman was sidelined with a knee injury late in the game, but he should be fine. According to NFL Network, seldomly untrustworthy in Rappaport. We go to Ian a lot for up-and-coming news um, as it pertains to the NFL. Freeman gets two more days than 99% of the players in the NFL to heal up, so that won't hurt him. Hopefully, he can go in Week 2. Calvin Ridley, the most hyped wide receiver in the 2018 draft, was catchless on two targets in this one. He was on the field 45% of the time, so I don't think it was necessarily for lack of playing time that he did not perform too well. Matt Ryan obviously isn't looking for the kid, but the issue may get forced based on the way that the Falcons offense stalled in the second half. You can't look for Julio Jones every play. Um, So for now... Ridley, I think, is only a hold in dynasty and keeper formats. I don't think you need to hold on to him and redraft leagues necessarily. Speaking of Matt Ryan and Julio, he seems to target Jones everywhere except the end zone. Jones's lack of TD prowess only continues. You know, years ago I realized that Julio's just not that much of a scorer. I did a piece on him uh, two or three years ago for the site, you know, just kind of researching just because I thought it was curious that, you know, he was never really much of a touchdown scorer so long as he's been in the NFL. I think one season he did get eight touchdowns, but I think that is the highest amount he's ever gotten. And you look back and even in college, he was not a guy that scored a lot of touchdowns, the exceptional athlete, exceptional ball catcher runs past everybody. But I don't know if they're just not looking for him in the end zone or if you're just not, you know, adept at getting those balls. But Julio Jones has never been much of a scorer, and I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon. Mohamed Sanu got six targets on Thursday, though he didn't do much with him. You know, it's easy to forget that he had over 700 yards and five touchdowns last season. Um... But you need to keep an eye on him in deeper formats. He should see pretty consistent targets and what should normally be a better Atlanta offense moving forward. Now to the other side of the ball, or to the other offense on the other side of the ball, the Philadelphia Eagles. Nelson Aguilar, he paid off for you. You know, only if you were using a PPR league, of course, as he had eight catches for just 33 yards. It didn't really help you in standard formats. True to form, the Atlanta DBs closed things down outside, leaving Nick Foles to target the middle of the field largely. Aguilar will continue to be a major part of the offense, 
even when Alshon Jeffrey returns, which could be as soon as week two. I think Aguilar will still be highly involved in that offense. Someone who wasn't as highly involved in that offense as I hoped he would be, Jay Ajayi. He had a great game on the stat sheet, don't get me wrong. You know, uh, over 60 yards, two touchdowns. Um, but that's coming off as highly touchdown dependent. His two touchdowns mass the fact that he was only on the field for 39% of the time. You know, his scoring opportunities are going to be his bread and butter as both Darren Sproles and Corey Clement were and will be heavily involved from the looks of things going forward. I know it's early, but it may not be a terrible idea to sell high on Jay for someone who gets a larger share of the carries. And I know I heard afterwards that Doug Peterson said that, you know, they're going to get him the ball more, but... I don't know. That's just conjecture for me at this point. Moving to quarterback, Nick Foles did not look good to start the season, you know, but we've seen that before. He's gone whole seasons not looking particularly good. You know, he's been very hot and cold his entire career, and it looks like winter may just be coming. Let's hope not, though. It was against Atlanta, who was a really good team the last several years. And they've got a pretty they've got a pretty formidable defense. Let's hope it was just, you know, first game jitters. And let's also hope that Carson Wentz returns sooner than later. Moving on to the next game. We have the Bills at the Ravens, and it was a blowout. The Ravens won 40 to 3. The Nathan Peterman experiment in Buffalo is effectively over as far as I can tell. And unlike, you know, when I was in grad school where you didn't get results published that showed a treatment did not work. You know, I always thought that was interesting since I thought that, you know, finding out an experiment didn't work, you know, could actually help people from having to try it again and make that mistake again. Peterman's ineffectiveness was out in the open for everyone to see. So this may be the last game of his NFL career, at least as a starter. I really do feel bad for how comically short, well, how comically bad his short tenure in the NFL has been. But it's time to move on, and this is Josh Allen's team now. Buffalo only managed 153 yards on the day, or as I like to call a half Tyreek. <laughs> we'll get that to that later. Um, so there's not much you can take away offensively from that, I don't think. Kelvin Benjamin, he led the team in targets with seven. Only brought down one. And Zay Jones, a favorite of mine from the Senior Bowl last year, led the team in receiving yards with 36. So there's that. Um, but I guess the good news is that things can only get better, right? I mean, LaShawn McCoy escaped suspension. You know, so that's a good thing, I guess, for him and his owners. But he may have succumbed to a worse fate as the lead back on the worst team in the league, as far as I can see, at least so far. The Bills were taken out of the game early, and so was he. Hopefully, this is not a trend. The Bills made Joe Flacco on the other side of the ball look like Joe Montana on Sunday. Oh, kind of a mediocre Joe Montana. 243 yards, but three touchdowns. Or maybe it was Lamar Jackson's giant specter looming over his 
balding head. Either way, you have to be a little optimistic about Ravens' skilled players as Flacco's schedule is one of the easier in the league. Moving on. Hopefully, Jackson's presence keeps him motivated enough to play like he means it. As far as the rest of the Ravens' offense goes, you would have thought Oprah was on the field the way TDs were being handed out to Ravens players throughout the game. You get a touchdown, and you get a touchdown, and you get a touchdown. Six different players scored, and in a way, it's almost as hard to take away anything from this as it is with the Bills' absence of offense because everybody got so much action. You know, it's hard to determine who the strongest plays will be moving forward. Kenneth Dixon led the team in rushing, but he's injured. And that came mostly in the blowout. I do think he'll have a solid PPR role etched out as he also led the team in targets with five. Dixon ended up out-touching. Alex Collins, 13-8. to And I think that also, uh, you know, in conjunction with the blowout, was... Partially due to Collins, you know, fumbling the ball. But I don't think that w- will, you know, determine his usage going forward. Dixon will probably miss a game or two, maybe more, um, due to another knee injury in a long line of them. So in his absence, Buck Allen will be the backup back. So good news with the Ravens starting wide receivers is that they're all at least worth keeping an eye on. And of those, you know, Michael Crabtree's probably already owning your league. You should pick up John Brown if he's in yours. You know, he was actually the best looking Ravens receiver in camp in the preseason. And he's a guy that can be a big play guy for you. He doesn't need a whole lot of targets to do well, you know, as long as he stays healthy and that sickle cell trait doesn't trip him up too much. All right, so let's move on to the next one. The Steelers at the Browns. The Browns, you know, seizing defeat from the jaws of victory (laughs) and dropping it, you know, in a ditch somewhere on the way, ending up in a 21-21 tie. The news of apocalyptic weather devastating the greater Cleveland area was largely overblown. Sorry, guys. Unlike the hype about James Conner, who had 192 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. You know, the question here is whether you keep riding high on the Conner wave or do you ship him off while the going is good. Three reasons why I think the latter. One, Le'Veon Bell is coming back sooner or later. You know, he only really technically has to play six games this season. Um, So, you know, there's that. But... I think he may come back sooner than that. Number two, no other running back registered a touch in the game. And I think that's unsustainable. You know, I, uh, there's Jalen Samuels, who's a good running back and a good pass catcher. I think that they're going to get him involved. I just don't think James Conner is going to be getting 30-plus touches every week that he's started there. You know, the scenario where I could see you hanging on to Connor is where, where you both own, um, where you own both Bell and Connor. You know, a lot of you probably picked up Connor late after you drafted Bell because you could see 
this coming, on, you know, maybe not to this extent, but you thought maybe there'd be a little bit of a holdout before the season started. The problem there is that you'll have the headache of deciding who to start when Bell does return. Because, you know, if Connor does keep performing this well, they're going to want to use him as well as Bell. And they'll, you'll have to decide every week, do you want to, you know, trot out both Bell and Connor? You know, do you want to trade one of the two at that point then? I just think you might want to get ahead of it and move Connor where you can. The biggest loser in this one, in my eyes, was Duke Johnson, who only had 25 yards on the day. Clearly took a backseat to Carlos Fide, who had 65 yards and a touchdown on the day. And this run-first Browns offense, you know, Terod Taylor, Carlos Hyde, you know, they're the ones moving the ball on the ground down the field. Johnson did have six targets, but I don't know that he'll reach the 50-plus catch total that we've grown accustomed to from him this season. You know, instead of dumping the ball off, Terod Taylor would just as well take it and run him himself. He doesn't need to dump it off. I mean, at least until, you know, he gets injured or something like that. Josh Gordon saw his proposed snap total of 20, more than tripled in this one. He had 69 snaps. A touchdown saved his otherwise unspectacular day, but it's obvious that he's going to be a major part of this offense going forward. Hold on to him. Keep rolling him out there. He's going to get you points. The same goes for David Njoku, who had three receptions for 13 yards. You know, he might get dropped by those owners who weren't watching the game, but he was involved. He was on the field. He had three catches. That was good enough for second on the team. This just shows you how much they're running the ball on seven targets, and that will translate to a better outcome on most days. So hold on to David and Joku. He's going to do better for you. And moving on to the Bengals at the Colts. The Bengals won this one 34-23. Surprisingly, at least to me, I didn't think the Bengals had it in him to score that many points, but hey, that's a good surprise. Gio Bernard was out-touched 22-2 by Joe Mixon in this one. His standalone value looks close to non-existent <laughs> this season. As the Bengals, like we had realized a while ago, that Mixon is actually an excellent pass catcher. You know, he doesn't need to come off the field. I'm not holding on to Gio in any but the deepest of fantasy leagues. It was Tyler Boyd, not John Ross, who acted as the second wide receiver option for Cincy in this game. Boyd had three receptions on five targets, 26 yards. John Ross had one reception, two targets for three yards, but, you know, that one reception was a touchdown, so that saved his day, or maybe your day if you started him. It's early, but Andy Dalton wasn't looking for Ross nearly as often as we'd hoped. I think he'll come around... Ross is too much of a talent, but Tyler Boyd, you know, he's going to be involved in these games as a slot receiver going forward. So maybe he's somebody that, you know, in deep PPR leagues, you can take a good look at. Andrew Luck, on the other side of the ball, didn't show much. Rust, 319 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. And, you know, a kind of dink and dunk short passing game, which is Interesting. You know, the Bengals, they do have a pretty stout pass rush. Um, 
you know, so they're a formidable opponent. But only one of Luck's passes actually went more than 20 yards, which is kind of crazy and which makes things interesting for a player like T.Y. Hilton who kind of thrives on the big play downfield. You know, and maybe, you know, Luck's first came back, you know, they didn't quite loosen the leaves as much, but it does kind of seem like this may be the kind of offense they're going to have going forward. So I don't know. I'm not worrying too much about T.Y. Hilton just yet, just because he's going to get the targets. I just don't know that he'll, you know, get the yardage totals that we're used to seeing um, on a pretty consistent basis. Ryan Grant, fellow wide receiver on the team, had eight receptions, actually led the team with nine targets, 59 yards. He was an integral part of the Colts attack, as I presumed on the radio show. I know Alex is not happy about this one because we bet some Jimmy John sandwiches on Ryan Grant. Um, In my case, being the second best receiver on the Colts this season, and it looks like that might be the case. Actually, hey, he might be the the best receiver as far as uh, fantasy goes. I don't know. We'll see. Probably not. But you do need to pick him up, especially in PPR formats. He's going to be heavily involved in this offense moving forward. Jordan Wilkins, rookie running back, looked decent on his 61 yards, and he outtouched Naheem Hines 17-12. Unfortunately, Marlon Mack is likely to return soon, muddying the mix further. And the Colts don't seem to run block very well. I'm going to avoid the situation as best as I can, and I would say you do the same. I would imagine, though, that whoever the best, Patrick, the best pass catcher is, you know, in that backfield will prevail, and that's probably Marlon Mack. Do you want more of the Roster Watch podcast? Well, now you can have it. The Roster Watch Pro podcast is now available for pro subscribers at rosterwatch.com. All you have to do is sign up for a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. You'll get access to all pro podcasts as well as our tools for fantasy draft season like the epic and magical mystical cheat sheets, in-season tools like the matchup tool, snap counts, touches, targets, touchdown dependency, so much more. And then our DFS products, including the DFS cheat sheets for DraftKings and FanDuel, the Vegas tool, the Hyper DFS professional lineup optimizer, and so much more. If you play preseason DFS, Roster Watch Pro is for you. We'll have weekly previews of the main slates for all of our pro members mixed in with exclusive content from the 2018 training camp tour. And then in season, you're going to be able to enjoy Byron Lambert's legendary trade cast, uh, the Waiver Wire podcast, uh, premium podcasts like our weekly DFS breakdown. All this, all our tools, and all the access to us that you can imagine for the lowest price in the industry. We are a nation. Join us at rosterwatch.com. Now let's move forward to the next matchup. That was the Titans at the Dolphins. The Dolphins ended up winning this one 27-20. One of the longest games in NFL history. I think they had over four hours of lightning delay. I think Frank Gore got a year older during that time. Hey, but he looked amazing. (laughs) Even so, Frank Gore... Nine attempts, 61 yards. He's not only holding up with time, he's defying it and manipulating it like he's Dr. Strange or something. He had a jaw-dropping 6.8 yards per carry Sunday to Kenyon Drake's 3.4. Drake out-touched him 18-9, but Gore is not going away. 
quarterback Marcus Mariota had 103 yards and two interceptions before leaving the game with an elbow injury. Our old friend Blaine Gabbert came in afterwards to relieve him. 117 yards, one interception. Sounds about Blaine Gabbert-ish. You know, if Gabbert has to start against the Texans in Week 2, the Texans make for a great defensive play. I mean, I th- think they should probably be owned anyways. And I'm moving away from any pass catcher not named Delano Wait. Delaney Walker dislocated and fractured his ankle. Just to add insult to injury, I mean most likely ending his season. Johnny Smith will step up in his place. Smith is a very athletic player. I liked him at the Senior Bowl last year, and he makes for an intriguing pickup if you're looking for a tight end. Kenny Stills, four receptions, 106 yards, two touchdowns. He needs to be owned and started in all formats as far as I'm concerned. He's the clear-cut number one in Miami. Danny Amendola, Albert Wilson, and a seven-target getting Jakeem Graham. Eyebrows raised there. We're all playing musical chairs behind him. Stills is the only one we can depend on for fantasy purposes, as far as I can see right now. Deion Lewis was the preferred option in the Titans' backfield, especially once Mariota left. You know, he's a utility knife that can be used everywhere. And even though Derrick Henry kind of is too, he's a really good pass catcher and, and a more forceful runner, um, but he's not really used as such. Lewis looks like an RB2 with upside words. Henry looks like an RB3, at least from um, where I'm standing right now. Let's move on to the 49ers at the Vikings. The Vikings won this one 24-16. Jimmy G, Jimmy G got his first loss of his NFL career after winning seven straight games. You know, and he threw three interceptions, so that's not surprising. He lost Marquise Goodwin to a quad injury, so that can't have helped his day. Goodwin misses time. Beer, Garcon, George Kittle. And a pretty impressive Dante Pettis. We'll see an uptick in targets. Kittle, five receptions, nine targets, 90 yards. Looks every bit a tight end one to me. If you're a Delaney Walker owner and Kittle is unowned, you already know what you need to do. Alfred Morris' usage looks alarmingly game flow specific. He was the guy, I'll admit it, when the 49ers weren't trailing. But whenever they were trailing, whenever they did lose the lead or not have the lead, Matt Breida took over. You know, this is a full-blown timeshare. Both had 12 touches. So again, I said this before going into the season. For standard leagues, I think Alfred Morris is the guy. But for PPR, I think it's Matt Breida. And I think it'll continue to be that way um, going forward. Latavius Murray had 11 carries to Dalvin Cook, 16. But much of his workload came in a clock-killing effort to keep the 49ers off of the field. Cook's usage in the passing game, he had six receptions for 55 yards, uh, will keep him viable regardless of Murray's role. So, I don't know, pick up Latavius Murray if you like. He's probably going get, to get, you know, a few touchdowns for you. Um, but I'm not depending him on him on a weekly basis. Two players who I will probably depend on on a weekly basis. Adam Thielen and Stephen Diggs. Thielen out-targeted Diggs 12-6, but it's hard to say to what extent that was dictated 
by Richard Sherman. Um, both, I think, are wide receiver ones going forward until or unless this becomes a trend. And on to the next game, which was the Houston Texans at the New England Patriots. The Patriots won this one 27-20. I don't know. It didn't really look to me as close as that score would indicate. The Patriots had control from the majority of the game, as far as I could tell. You know, do we need to temper expectations for Deshaun Watson? I think maybe. I don't know. I said before, after watching two joint practices with the 49ers um, in August, that the pocket was collapsing way too quickly for Deshaun. And this, you know, pretty much held true in the first game. You know, he was missing Will Fuller, too. So that did not help his chances. He needs fast receivers if he's going to have to deliver the ball so quickly. He'll have much better days, but the earth-shaking totals we were getting used to last season, his rookie season, may be fewer and farther between this season. You know, I think, you know, he was bound to fall back to earth for sure. Um, and there's, you know, a good shot of him being a top five quarterback, but you know, just have to be patient and see. You're starting him either way. Bruce Ellington, a favorite of mine. At four receptions, eight targets, 37 yards, and one touchdown. He served as a serviceable number two in Will Fuller's stead. I think he'll be worth streaming in deeper in PPR leagues as long as Fuller is sidelined. You know, Kiki QT is coming up. Vincent Smith, he's coming up too. But I think Bruce Ellington, Bruce Ellington is going to maintain a role um, there as long as Will Fuller is not around. The other side of the ball, no Patriot running back came close to Rex Burkhead's 19 touches. And 18 of them were on the ground. His usage next week will depend a lot on whether Sony Michelle is good to go. As Jeremy Hill, he's out with injury for the foreseeable future. But I think the Pats will largely avoid running right at the Jaguars, their opponent, in Week 2. What's so useful about Burkhead, though, is that he stays potent. He stays a potent weapon even if they go through the air. You can throw the ball to him. I think he's a weekly flex. The biggest surprise here in this game, to me, was the absence of Chris Hogan on the stat sheet. He only caught one of five passes for 11 yards, while Philip Dorsett, <laughs> an old roster watch friend had 66 yards and a touchdown on seven receptions and seven targets. Don't expect Hogan to bounce back against the Jags either. You know, they are a really good secondary, at least on the outside. Dorsett makes for an intriguing play um, if he's playing out of the slot, though. So I don't know, maybe you throw him in there in some DFS lineups moving on next week. Then the next game, the highest scoring game of the week, and the highest scoring opening game since maybe it was, was it 1950 or so? I could be mistaken there. Or 1970. One of the two, or somewhere in between. The Buccaneers actually beat the Saints 48 to 40. And this has to be the shock of the week. Ryan Fitzpeepy had a 417 yard. Four-touchdown monster against a vaunted Saints defense. I don't know that it really helped anyone. It's probably, you know, maybe 2% of, 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 of fantasy lineups actually had Brian Fitzpatrick in them. 
you know, and he gets the Eagles next week. So I don't know that people are going to be, you know, gung-ho about putting him in their lineups in week two. The Eagles have a really good defense. What we do know is that Deshaun Jackson, who had five receptions, 146 yards, and two touchdowns, is not done. His goose is not cooked, and he needs to be owned. Chris Godwin derailed any fantasy conversation about DJX coming into the season. You know, we were talking him up, and, you know, it was, it was worth it. He's worth the hype. He's good. Um, but it would be foolish to overlook a guy who we've seen put up really good numbers in the past in Deshaun Jackson. So you need to pick him up. There's no question that Peyton Barber has a firm hold on the lead running back job in Tampa Bay. He outtouched Jaquiz Rogers 19-3, and Ronald Jones was a healthy scratch. I know Alex hates Peyton Barber and thinks he's garbage, but he looked pretty decent in this game, and you know the team trusts him. I think you can drop Jones outside of Dynasty or Keeper Leagues for right now. Maybe Cameron Brayton needs Jameis Winston to retain fantasy value, but I do not think it's something I'm willing to wait around for. O.J. Howard outsnapped him 43-24, to and he looks like the future of the tight end position in Tampa. Newly signed Jonathan Williams for the Saints did not play over Mike Gillisley, but it didn't really matter as Alvin Kamara outtouched Gillisley 17-3. And he didn't come out at the goal line. I mean, he's a big back. The facts that the Saints were trailing most of this insanely high-scoring game may have affected the script, but Gillisley looks safe to drop if you've got someone in mind that you want to pick up. Also for the Saints, Ted Ginn, who had six targets. You know, it was third to Michael Thomas, 17, and Alpha Kamara, 12, but he was effective. 68 yards and a touchdown. He actually makes for a reasonable play against the Browns in week two. Quite a few games to get to. I won't go over all of the notes I have. You can come to rosterwatch.com and check out the fantasy fallout to get the whole scoop. But Leonard Fournette in this Jaguars versus Giants matchup. The Jaguars won this one in uh, the Giants Stadium. Leonard Fournette seems to have escaped serious industry and in, industry or injury um, as he injured his hamstring and what Coach Doug Marone called a good part of his leg. I don't know a good part of the leg to have an injury, but I'll take Marone's word for it. T.J. Yeldon was the go-to after Fournette left the game, out touching Corey Grant seventeen. To one, Yeldon needs to be added in all formats as hamstring injuries are known to linger and the Jags will be in no rush to bring Fournette back while they have arguably the most formidable defense in the league. No Jaguar wide receivers saw more targets than D.D. Westbrook's six. If you're adding a Jag wide receiver this week, and by Jag I mean Jaguar, not just just a guy, um, it should be him. Saquon Barkley. Or Saquon Barkley, sorry. 106 yards, one touchdown. Had a coming out party in week one against arguably the best defense in the league. Imagine what he's going to do to average defenses, even behind a suspect O-line. Jonathan Stewart was an 
afterthought, and you don't need to hold on to them if you have them. And on to the next game. The Chiefs at the Chargers. Chiefs won this one 38-28. So much for a slow start to Patrick Mahomes' season. You know, the way he lit up the Chargers makes me wonder what the Chiefs would have been capable of last year if they hadn't been so dependent on the ever-conservative Alex Smith under center. You know, Mahomes probably won't be this good every game this season, but I feel safe rolling him out in Week 2 and beyond that. You know, the Chargers are a good defense. This was not an easy team um, to have a good game against. This was a difficult test, and he passed with flying colors. So I'm using him. You know, you got to hold on to Sammy Watkins. Only 21 yards, but he was involved early. You know, he won't blow up every week. But this offense looks high octane. They're going to score a lot of points, and Sammy Watkins is going to be involved. So hold on to him for now. On the other side of the ball, Austin Eckler, 126 yards and a touchdown. A garbage grab favorite from last season. You know, I thought he was the second-best player for San Diego on Sunday behind Melvin Gordon. Keenan Allen did have a really good game, too. Well, it didn't seem like any starting receivers could catch other than Keenan Allen, and I don't include Mike Williams as a starting receiver. Um, So the running back checks took over, pretty much. Expect Eckler to stay involved moving forward as he has standalone value. He needs to be owned in PPR formats and, you know, deeper redrafts, too. There's more to get to there, but I'm moving on. Read it on rosterwatch.com if you want. The Redskins at the Cardinals. Redskins won this one 24-6. Adrian Peterson looked a decade younger on the way to a massive game, 166 yards, and a touchdown. And he was involved in the passing game, you know, which you know has eluded him in the past. He, Chris Thompson, and Jordan Reed made up the bulk of the Redskins offense, which you can expect in an Alex Smith offense. You know, he has two or three guys that he fixates on. And they have really good games most of the time. So this makes me worry a little bit about some of the other Redskins pass catchers. You know, I'm, I'm not really expecting a lot of consistency out of them moving forward. I guess the one I would expect the most consistency from is Jamison Crowder. I think he's worth holding on to for sure. The Josh Rosen age seems nearer than ever after the garbage game Sam Bradford who had 160 yards and two turnovers put forth on Sunday. Things aren't going to come easier against the Rams in Week 2. I'm, t- I'm staying away from anyone not named David Johnson or Larry Fitzgerald as far as the Cardinals go. Let's go to the next game. My beloved Dallas Cowboys at the Carolina Panthers. Panthers won this one 16-8. to The boys were bad Sunday as they failed to move the ball effectively for most of the game. The passing game is anemic. Colt Beasley was the leading receiver with 73 yards. I'm hands off everybody but Beasley and Elliott for the time being. They can't seem to get anything going. This offense looks stale. Hopefully they can get things going, though. I think they can. I think they're badly coached. But what can I say? On the other side of the ball... C.J. Anderson had seven carries to McCaffrey's 10, which is too close to comfort, in my opinion. 
McCaffrey was much more involved in the passing game, six receptions for 45 yards, but his role again seems to have been exaggerated. Anderson should be owned in leagues that are larger than 10 teams. He just needs to. They're going to use him. Some injury news there. Greg Olson was seen in a walking boot after the game, and it's looking like an extended absence for him. Devin Funchess had seen an uptick in looks as long as Olsen is gone. And to the next game. Seattle Seahawks at the Denver Broncos. Denver won this one 27-24. Chris Carson and Rashad Penny had the same number of carries, seven, and targets, five, on Sunday. But Carson was a much more effective back, racking up 51 yards. That Penny's eight on the ground. Carson is still the better play going forward, but the Hawks, they seem determined to keep Penny involved, so he's going to stay involved as long as he's healthy. Tight end Will Disley, a name that I don't, I'm, I, 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 you know, just being a trash man, it, it sounds like someone I've heard of before, but I, I could be wrong. And I'm sure 99% of the fantasy public has never heard of him before um, yesterday. But he's a fourth-round rookie. They brought him in to block, but he had a monster. 105 yards on three receptions. You know, most of it came on a 66-yard play. I want to see him do it or even something close to it, you know, again before adding him outside of the deepest leagues. But, you know, if you need help at tight end, if you're a Delaney Walker owner, maybe he's somebody, you know, you look into if it's a deeper league and there aren't as many other options. In Denver, on that side of the ball, Philip Lindsay, 5'8", 190 pounds. You know, with those measurements, he's not going to unseat Royce Freeman as the you know first two down back in Denver. But it looks like he's already ahead of Devontae Booker as the number two in passing down back. He got the same number of carries and yards on the ground as Freeman, 15 for 71. Pick him up. Pick him up in all formats. He looks good. Looks like they're going to use him. Moving on to the evening game. Was it just me? Or was anybody else just frustrated and yelling at the screen whenever the Bears decided to kick that field goal, you know, when they were fourth and one close to their end zone? You knew it was going to happen. It's happened so many times before. You knew I mean, and that was a lot of time for Aaron Rodgers, you know, over two and a half minutes. You knew he's going to come back. If I'm the coach, which I'm not, you know, um, of the Bears, you're going for that every time. Score the touchdown because you know if there's any time left in a hurry-up offense, Aaron Rodgers, he's going to beat you. Anyways. As I had thought going into the season and argue with Alex about, the Bears' offense was mediocre under Mitch Trubisky's arm on Sunday. I love his skilled players, but he's not there yet. You know, we have to temper our expectations for Anthony Robinson, or excuse me, Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller going forward. You know, as much as we love Miller time, I just don't know that Mitch Trubisky is going to be able to get him the ball on a regular basis. I just don't. 
Someone I do think he's going to get the ball to on a regular basis is Trey Burton. He did only have one reception for 16 yards, but he had the second most looks behind Allen Robinson. He just couldn't link up with Trubisky. I think he, you know, I, I think you do hold on to Trey Burton. I think you do hold on to Anthony Miller too. Don't get me wrong, but I think you're going to be able to use Trey Burton on a regular basis. On the other side of the ball, Aaron Rodgers beat the Bears on a busted knee. But there's no assurance he's going to be under center in week two. They said he came back out because there wasn't any more damage he could have done to the knee. You know, if Deshaun Kaiser gets the start in week two, the wheels just might fall off, as they have for the Packers in the past whenever Aaron Rodgers is not under center. Kaiser struggled all preseason, and he threw an interception, you know, in one of the seven attempts that he had on Sunday night. So I'm not too bullish on Packers pass catchers if Rodgers is not there. But how about my boy Geronimo Allison, who was in the garbage grab this week? Five receptions, 69 yards, and a touchdown. He needs to be added if Aaron Rodgers is going to be under center. As teams are going to focus on stopping Devontae Adams, we talked about um, on the show how he's got arguably the hardest schedule for any wide receiver for the rest of the season. You know, top cornerbacks are going to be up against him, and that means that top cornerbacks are not going to be up against Geronimo Allison. So he's going to get some targets. I mean, he's showing that he can produce. Pick him up. One last note, Jamal Williams is the only Packers running back you need to own right now. It's just not really happening for anyone else. It is early. It is one game. So take all of this with a grain of salt, but maybe there's something here, some tidbits here that you can take moving forward um, to use to your fantasy advantage. Anyway, this has been the fantasy fallout week one going into week two. This is the trash man. I'll see you this weekend. <laughs>